All right. So um, we had a staff meeting two weeks ago, probably. And one of the things that we we're talking about, you know, we we're just trying to figure out how, what this summer was going to look like for Living Hope Wesleyan Church. And uh, Pastor Jeff had been talking about, and, you know, he sort of worded it as a summer to celebrate. You know, we're sort of on the tail end of this pandemic, and he really wanted us to have fun. Those are the two words that he used, were celebrate and have fun. And, uh, you know, so we've got a bunch of stuff coming up that we're going to be doing just as this opportunity to just get together, celebrate, and have fun. So I thought today we'd really sort of, you know, clue in on that, really focus in on celebrate and have fun. So we're going to be talking about Leviticus today. <laughs> um, I did not plan that, uh, you know, I, I, I'd been planning to talk about Leviticus for a while, and it just... It cracked me up when when Pastor Jeff was really focusing in on celebrate and have fun, and I was thinking to myself, well, I'm going to be preaching on Leviticus because um, Leviticus isn't really the one that people go to to celebrate and have fun, but there's so much good stuff in it. Uh, I was doing some research the last couple of weeks, and I read this great story from a, a, a pastor slash professor who was giving a class, and uh, they had a student come up to them and say, I never realized it was possible to fall asleep while on a treadmill until I started reading Leviticus. And this is kind of the rap that Leviticus gets, is that it's boring, that it's uh, it's it's wordy, it's dull, it's legalistic. You know, many a Christians have started the Bible and got lost in Leviticus in Numbers. It's sort of the way that it is. You get Numbers, you get Leviticus, and... You know, many enter, few exit. It's sort of that that mindset with Leviticus. And uh, so we're going to be talking specifically about Leviticus chapter 19 today. Um, but I want to do a quick overview of the Old Testament, you know, to, to get to where we're going to be at. And so, you know, prior to this, we've got sort of the the you know, the garden, we've got the flood, we've got the wandering, we've got you know, we've got all of this stuff that that's built up to it. And and I noticed this because, you know, I had mentioned that my, my life group has been going to the Bible Project. And we actually just recently did Leviticus. And one of the things that really sticks out, and it's one of those things you don't always notice, because, you know, like for me, if I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible, it usually takes, it can take weeks to, to read it. You know, you read maybe two or three chapters a day, and some of them are, you know, 50, 60 chapters. It could take you you know, two, three weeks to read from beginning to end. And you miss connections that you don't see when you just sit down and look at the entire book at once. And one of the things we've really noticed going through this is that the the early books of the Old Testament have a, a very common theme, and that is the Israelites coming to God and then falling from God, and then coming to God and then falling from God. And this is over and over and over and over, just a cycle on repeat. And so that brings us to Leviticus 19. And I'm going to read all of Leviticus 19 today. Uh, it's a bit long. Uh, it's a bit wordy. And one of the things that makes me chuckle about this chapter is, um, you know, if you look in a Bible today, there's usually headers to certain sections. And now when the Bible was written, originally written, you know, the original authors didn't necessarily title each one of the individual sections. But, you know, there are things that are put in there to help us as readers separate things. It makes it easier to, 
to grab things. And the, so this section is just simply titled Various Laws. And you're probably thinking to yourself, goodness, he's going to read 37 verses of various laws. And uh, yes, yes, we are going to read 37 verses of various laws. We're going to read chapter verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read verses 3 through 37. And I want to read verses 1 through 2 first, and then take a minute. Because then, as I'm reading through verses 3 through 37, I want you to think back to that verses 1 and 2. So here we go, Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That's the focus point of this entire chapter. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Because Leviticus, at its core, you know, on, on the outside, it looks like it's just laws and legalism. Leviticus, the beauty of the book of Leviticus, it's a book of holiness. It's a book showing the Israelites how to be holy. And why should they be holy? Because as the Lord says, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. For to be like God, we ourselves must be holy, because God is. God wants us to be closer to him. We can't be unless we're holy. Now, as we get into this sort of this holiness and, and these laws, I want to, to note what holiness means. Holiness is separateness. And so we're going to get that into that really into detail later, but God is holy because he is separate from everyone else. So it makes him special and different. It's holiness. It's, it separates him from everyone else. And so as we look through these laws, a major core of what enables them to aid the Israelites in their quest for holiness is separation. It makes them different. Some of these laws you're going to recognize, and some of them you're going to not recognize, and some of them you're going to be like, what? But let's go through them and look at all of them from that mindset of holiness. That the reason that they were called for these laws was to be holy. And why were they called to be holy? Because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourself. I am Lord, your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. 
Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death because she has not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance to the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all of its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritualists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. Stand up in the presence of the age, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. That's a lot of laws. That's a lot of laws and a lot of legalism. There's so much in there. Honestly, there's so much in there that I wish that we could get to everything that's in there. We just don't have time unless you all want to sit here for the next, you know, three to four hours. There's just so much. You can go in depth, in detail in every single one of these laws and read why they were a thing, what it was that set them apart. And we're going to go through a couple of these in a couple of different situations that I find really really fascinating. But before that, there's two main points here. And we talked about this, you know, the sort of this main focus here of be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Holiness is a major part of these laws. And also love your neighbor. You know, 10 times in the New Testament, we see either Jesus 
or one of his disciples reference Leviticus and saying that we should be holy because the Lord is holy or to love our neighbors. Jesus and the disciples constantly go back to Leviticus as sort of ways for them to live their lives in order to love one another or be holy. And when Jesus asks the important commandments, he focuses in on Leviticus, love your neighbor. Holiness is not a choice. It's a necessity. And we see that here in Leviticus. God doesn't go to the Israelites and say, hey, you know, if you guys want, here's a list of things you can do to help you be holy. God literally, repeatedly throughout, he says, I am the Lord your God. I am your Lord. I am your Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. Follow my decrees because I am the Lord. Because God recognizes the importance of holiness. The importance that his people be separate from the world around them. Now, the way we go about holiness today is a bit different. And it's because of the fact that we're not bound by the laws of the Old Testament. You know, Jesus came to bring about the new covenant, the new agreement, the new law. The old is done away. But there's still so much that can be learned from here. One of the things we talked about actually this past week in my life group was the number of people who we've run into who, because of Jesus, feel that the Old Testament is just obsolete. There's nothing there anymore. We only need the New Testament. But the two go hand in hand. Jesus lived by the code of the Old Testament. So while he brought this new code, this new life, the old is still so important. And so I want to look at a verse in Leviticus, which I have always thought to be fantastic. Do not mate two kinds of animals. Do not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. And the first thought on this is always, well, I can't go shopping anymore. My garden is sinful and mules are just out of the question. Because if we look at this literally, I mean, most of us arguably do this on a daily basis. Um, I mean, if farmers working with mules, which I believe are horses and donkeys, it's two kind of animals. Garden. I mean, in my garden, I've got, you know, seeds growing next to each other. And I mean, we have seeds that are created from merging two kinds of seeds to make a better, stronger plant. I can't do that. You know, I can't even go to the store and buy seeds. I got to make sure that they're, they're specific separate ones and keep them separate. You know, the clothing, I... I don't know if the for all I know there's there's linen and cloth in this. I I don't know it. There's so much there, but that's reading it at too much of a basic face value. Because the problem is, and this is the thing with the Old Testament especially, is it was written for people thousands of years ago. There's so much that we can glean from it, but we also have to recognize the context when with which the Old Testament was written. It's the same with the New Testament. Also, the Bible in general, it's important to recognize because we can get so much more depth out of it because there are certain things in there that 
aren't going to be in there because of the fact that the people of the day would have known because that was the day. It didn't need to be written. And what is it that I'm talking about? It's not that these acts were sinful, but instead that mixing things was an ancient pagan act that was believed to be the source of magical power. Now, all of a sudden, it makes a little bit more sense. Therefore, if the Israelites were to be holy and set apart from those around them, they had to separate themselves from what the people did. So paganism in this time, you know, polytheistic religions, witchcraft, sort of darker magic, for lack of a better word, was arguably the dominant religion of the time. This idea of a monotheistic religion was almost unheard of. So the Israelites, just in that aspect, were set apart. But they were now going to live amongst people who outnumbered them and believed and lived differently from them. If they just went in and started dressing like them, gardening like them, you know, working animals like them, at what point are they just them? At what point are the Israelites no longer set apart? And if they're no longer set apart, at what point are the Israelites not holy? Now we start to see what Leviticus 19 is all about. Leviticus 19 is about keeping the Israelites separate. The vast majority of these laws, I mean, you talk about there's laws with, with hair, there's laws with tattoos. I mean, you look at even into the dark ages, you know, the tattoo verse that's in here in Leviticus. You know, if I think of a Celt, Celts were pagans. The, you know, ancient, you know, Brit, uh, the Britons were pagans. The Vikings were pagans. The Germans were pagans. And what is it that they all had in common? They all had long hair covered in tattoos. If the Israelites, if the later Christians did this, it's not that the act itself was necessarily sinful. You know, the length of my beard isn't necessarily sinful. But if it causes me to stand next to a pagan and someone looks at the two of us and they can't tell us apart, I'm no longer set apart. No longer holy. So what this is all about is causing the Israelites to be set apart. But one of the things with Leviticus, and it's one of the things that we run into with so many of these verses, and even looking at, at some of those, and, and then I'll get into this next part, a lot of it had to do with this, this idea of magic and power. You know, beards and tattoos and seeds and all this, it all had to do with, it wasn't necessarily just a physical appearance. It was considered magic. It was considered powerful. It was considered working in dark, mysterious things that, that humans shouldn't delve into. It's almost like these people were trying to become God instead of living separate with God. That's not right. Dabbling in these kind of things. 
And there's another verse in here that that I want to look into real quick because um and then then we'll get more into you know how this how this applies to today what this works into today. But we look here at Leviticus and Leviticus chapter 20 verse 20 actually right after the the animals the seeds and the materials there's a couple of verses here which I also find really fascinating and honestly this doesn't really even apply to a lot of what we just read um with this idea of keeping separate from dark magic and keeping separate from paganism and you know keeping you know not letting these other cultures sort of blend into what Judaism at the time was all about this is really honestly I hear a lot of times people are talking about the the gospels and talking about the bible and they talk about how it's old doesn't apply today it's all this old stuff and i was reading through this this past week and i read through this a couple of times and it really stuck out how much our society lags behind these two verses and i want to read them again if a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom there must be due punishment Yet they are not to be put to death because she had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance to the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed and his sin will be forgiven. Now, what's not written in here, but is generally assumed by scholars, is that this man would also then be required to marry the woman. Now, the reason why I find this interesting is the man has to do a guilt offering to make atonement for his sin. This does not talk about the woman. Because most scholars will agree that God looked at the woman and didn't find the woman to be of the same guilt that the man was of. And why is that? Because the woman was a slave and the man was free. The Bible recognizes that one of these people, the man in this situation, had the power. They're of a higher societal tier, a higher cultural tier. One was free, one was slave, a higher wealth tier. And they were able to use this power over someone who was beneath them. And actually, it raises the woman up. Because as I said, most scholars generally agree that the man would have then had to marry her. So she'd be raised up from a slave. And the man is the one who sees the majority of the guilt. Because for a slave to say no to a free man, that's not what a slave would do. They were a slave. Their job was to say yes. even in this situation where the slave is promised to another man. But she still says yes, because she's a slave. And that power struggle, and honestly, I was reading this, I was like, this is something we see today. You know, CEOs and secretaries, we see, we see all sorts of times, my brain is like at a loss for, you know, we see athletes and reporters, we see people in positions of power and people who aren't in positions of power, and they try to use that power to control someone else. We see this all the time. 
And the Bible talks about it right here. Man has to bring a guilt offering because he used his position of power for sin and not for good. And I find that to be fascinating. I find that to be amazing looking at the gospel here and how applicable, and especially with the last 10 years with, you know, the Me Too movement. We've seen all these things with Hollywood and we've seen all these things with people in power abusing their positions. And the gospel talks about it right here. And to me, that's amazing. Shows me how much the gospel is a living, breathing document that applies to today's day and age. It isn't just something that was written thousands of years ago. And you can argue with the number of times people in power have gotten away with things that they did in today's day and age, or that the you know the the victim, that the person who was of lesser power was the one who maybe faced the most punishment, that the Bible is actually ahead of where we are as a society. And honestly, that actually doesn't surprise me that much. The Bible is in a better place than we are culturally as a society. And we see that here in Leviticus. The legalistic, droning on, words upon words, falling asleep, Leviticus. There's so much in this book. There's so much in this book. And I wish we could get to more of it. But we're going to start wrapping it up with why are some of these things not an issue today? What do we do with it today? Some of them help us today. We see guidelines that we can follow. But one of the important things to note is, you know, we talked so much about pagan traditions. We talked so much about why we didn't mix things because of pagan traditions, because of the belief of these sources of magical powers. These are no longer an issue in today's day and age because, I mean, look at the world around us. Do you see pagan traditions? You see fringe groups? You see individual people here and there, but I don't walk down the street and see pagans everywhere. I don't go to the grocery store and see pagans everywhere. I don't go to work with a bunch of pagans. Pagan traditions are no longer an issue in today's day. And so a lot of these laws are not something that are required of us in order to remain holy. Because of the fact that we're not trying to stay separate from pagan traditions. But instead, there are things that we can take from this. Because... These laws were written to help the Israelites to be separate, to stay holy from the pagans around them. So what are things that we can do to stay separate and stay holy from the world around us? Well, we may no longer have to worry about weaving two kinds of you know, material. We do have to worry about weaving the Christian life with the culture around us. You know, how, how much as a, as a church, as a Christians, as people... Have we gotten to where if I stand next to someone, can they tell that I'm a Christian? Or do I just look like anyone else? Do I just look like an American? Do I just look like a certain political party, one way or the other? Do I just look like, you know, do I talk different? Do I act different? 
Do I think different? Do I see things different? Or are they all the same? That's what we can take from Leviticus. Love your neighbor, be holy, and separate yourself from the culture around you. Because if we as a church become so ingrained in the culture around us that we no longer look different, we've done exactly what God hoped the Israelites wouldn't do. And not only that, I would tell you just from a logical standpoint, it's not a healthy thing for the church to do. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I was told all the time, make sure that your church, that your youth services are different. Make sure that they're unique. Make sure that they're deep. Make sure that kids are learning stuff. Make sure that you're really diving into the gospels. Because a lot of people would say, hey, you know what? You just got to make sure that youth group is fun. Because, you know, they're kids. They, they just want to go somewhere that they can have fun. And you know what I'd say to that? Yeah, that's true. And if youth group's just a place to have fun, why are they going to choose youth group over paintballing with friends or Halo night with friends? Although we did have a lot of fun Halo nights at youth group. So, you know, it happens. Um, or, you know, movies with friends or going downtown. Or at what point does church just look like another fun thing to do when there's a million fun things out there. It's just not different. And when people are looking for church, they're looking for something different. They're looking for something separate. They're looking for something holy. We do have to worry about weaving the Christian life with the culture around us. God calls us to be distinct. God calls us to be set apart. Just like the ancient Israelites. But I want to leave you with a thought. I like to leave people with a thought, with a question, something to dwell on, something to think about this week. How often does the church not look distinct? How often do we as Christians not look distinct? When you go to work this week, when you go to play dates this week, when you go grocery shopping this week, do you look distinct? Do you look holy? Or do you instead just look like everyone else? Lord, I thank you so much for everyone here. Thank you so much for your grace, your guidance. And Lord, I ask that you continue to be with all of us in our walk towards holiness, Lord. Our walk to be more like you. Lord, you called each and every one of us to look like you, the Imago Dei, the image of God. Are we reflecting your image, Lord? Or do we just look like the culture around us? Are we reflecting their culture, Lord? Help us to reflect your image, Lord. Help us to be separate. I thank you so much for each and every one of us. 
Lord, be with all of us as we go throughout our week. We thank you so much in your name. Amen.